0: Welcome to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm, a podcast for managing and growing your legal practice.
1: Hello and welcome to this episode of The Entrepreneurial Lawyer. I am your host, Dan Cunio, along with my fabulous, astonishing, marvelous co-host, Sarah Tan Bates.
2: You pulled out some new words today. How are you? I'm good. Are you keeping a list now?
1: Uh, Just a mental checklist.
2: (laughs) Okay, enough about us, though. Um, I'm really excited about our guest today.
1: We have an in-house guest. In-house. In studio.
2: And let's note, the first time we are officially doing video. Uh
1: (laughs) Uh-oh. You can't see me. You cannot see me. Do you see me?
2: But here's the thing. Our guest is going to make us look good.
1: Well, that's a hard hard road for me, but (laughs) we shall see. But we have with us Whitney Dunn. Hello, Hi. Hi, Whitney.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm excited to be doing the video guinea pigging with the two of you, <laughs> and hopefully this isn't the last one that you do on video,
2: but I do a fine enough job.
1: This is the first of many.
2: Uh, Whitney, if we don't do video, it won't be because What of are we you. talking about today? <laughs> uh, client communication. What? 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 Are you trying to play a joke? Right? No. <laughs>
1: Man, oh, this could going to be a tough oh crowd. I feel like we've been talking for a while already. Dan,
2: that was that courtesy laugh right there. <laughs>
1: That's okay. I'll take any laugh, Even if they're at me, it's still a laugh. No, you are so spot on client communication. That's one of the top complaints with the bar.
0: It is. And it's
1: been top five for years, if not decades.
0: Yeah, actually, in Missouri, nine out of the last 10 years, it was the number one um, violation that the Office of Chief Disciplinary Counsel found when they found violations um, following client complaints. The The duty of communication is hard for lawyers. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I know some of the reasons. Some of the reasons are maybe mysteries, but it's difficult, and I'm happy to you know talk about ways that lawyers can do this better and hopefully provide some good tips on making it easier for them to do so.
1: (laughs) Before we do that, could you just tell us a little bit about yourself for our listeners so they can now put a name and a face together?
0: Sure, absolutely. So then they'll know
1: who they're communicating with.
0: (laughs) He's really (laughs) gonna take this all the way. (laughs) (laughs) So I am the senior risk manager at The Bar Plan. It's an LPL company based here in St. Louis. And in that role, I basically provide... Risk management guidance to you know not just our insureds, but we have um, we open our risk management guidance to any attorney in any state where we write, um, and we also give a lot of ethics CLEs and and presentations. Um, our goal is just to make lawyers as ethical and um, risk free as possible. With the knowledge that there's always going to be risk inherent in legal practice. And so we want to just give people the information they need to do it the best they can.
1: So the bar plan, I it's just I'm sure you have so many stories that you could tell that <laughs> or I know we're limited on time.
0: Some 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 not on mic, but yes, most of them. Yeah. We've got tons we have tons of stories. Um the company has been around for i guess over 35 years now and so the amount of expertise in those walls i just have been soaking up like a sponge so i can make sure and pass it on so to these attorneys.
1: violations that you're you're seeing are they
0: blatant violations rarely you know the the duty of communication is most frequently violated by an attorney who is either because they're very very busy and they don't have time or perhaps because they aren't even aware of what the duty looks like, they're just not appropriately communicating with their client. Be that not communicating frequently enough, not being responsive when the client calls because the attorney thinks, they don't know this, but we don't have anything going for six months, so I'm not going to bother to respond to them. That's a direct violation, a direct violation of the language of the rule, um, to not respond to a client request for information, even if that request would be responded to by saying, I have no update for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, this isn't something that attorneys are out there willfully doing. It is, I think, a difficult, um, a difficult duty to meet, and so attorneys have to be aware of it and make sure that they are purposefully doing things to make it easier on themselves.
1: What is a, in, in your opinion, what do you think a reasonable time frame is to respond?
0: Well, I mean it. It, it it's going to depend. If you're in the middle of a two week trial and someone calls for an update on something that isn't pressing, do you have to drop everything and go out in the, you know, in a recess and call that client back and talk to them for 30 minutes? Probably not. But you should at minimum probably have your office staff call, acknowledge the fact that they've, you know, that they're, Inquiry has been received and say you know the attorney is unavailable right now because of a because of a lengthy trial but they'll get back to you as soon as they're back in the office, you know, next Wednesday or whatever that might look like. I can tell you if the client has to call back, you've probably waited too long. Now that isn't a hard and fast rule, but just from the perspective of making sure that the client feels they're being appropriately communicated with, that the, that the client doesn't feel like they are not getting the communication they need. If they call a second time and you haven't responded to them, that's, that's too long. Yeah. Right.
2: I was going to ask the question, I mean, how, how often, how much should attorneys be utilizing their staff, assuming they have staff, to help fill some of these communication gaps? Unquestionably, use staff. But don't think that that can
0: replace the duty to communicate with the client from your legal perspective. Right. Have the staff acknowledge, have the staff say, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry that we're not able to get back to you um, with this specific information today. But we'll get back to you and then give a time and then follow up with the client at that time. But there is a case, I'm not going to remember the site, Sadly, but there's a case that um, I was recently reading out of Kansas from a few years ago where an attorney basically had all of the call slips that the staff had put together and just handed them out. You know, paralegal, legal assistant, receptionist, just handle this. And that is not (laughs) appropriately discharging the duty of communication. So use your staff to help set appropriate expectations about when responses might be received. To the extent that your staff can provide the information that's being requested, certainly have them do that, but your staff cannot meet your duty of communication. Right, and I think that's
1: really the important word there, isn't it? The duty. Mm -hmm. It isn't duty to just respond or acknowledge. The duty, I would read it, is the duty of the attorney to properly advise and explain the law, right? You're the counselor, so you need to be able to properly advise risk versus reward was the situation. You can't let that default to a paralegal or to anyone else because now you're jeopardizing um, further exposure as far as dispensing legal advice when you're not a practicing attorney.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I mean, unquestionably, you know, unauthorized practice of law issues, staff supervision issues are all inherent there. And um, you are absolutely right that the attorney has a duty more than just communicating with frequency or responding But yes, communicating certain information that the client needs to make a decision about the client's case. That's another way sometimes that attorneys inadvertently run afoul of the rule because the attorney thinks, I'm going to tell the client what the client needs to know to get the client what the client wants. Well, you should tell the client everything so that the client can understand what is happening because. What you think the client wants might not even be what the client wants. Right, and the
1: client needs to know all the facts so he or she can make an informed decision. Absolutely. What about over communicating? Because I, I, I see, like you know, you try to draw that line, but I don't. I, the line's blurred, right? I mean, I have that song now in my head: "Blurred Lines." <laughs> We're talking about the ethics <laughs> and the rules, but it's okay. So I'm communicating, but how? Where do I? Where do you draw that line in billing for that too?
0: So the attorney that is over communicating with their client, the client that is sick of hearing from their attorney, I would love to meet them. I I don't I don't have a lot of experience hearing about that exact story. And especially when it comes to billing, you know, the duty of communication touches so many different rules. Um it touches the the rule that that talks about fees and um you know, 1.5 it touches the the trust accounting rule talking about record keeping with uh, with 1.15 and what you can can and can't do with client money, scope, conflicts, the duty of communication touches so many different rules that if you are going to be billing a client, so I'm assuming everyone listening to a podcast called The Entrepreneurial Lawyer is going to be billing a client and is not only a pro bono. They attorney. will have to listen to Saturday. <laughs> they, they weren't, <laughs> Whitney. They weren't. So if you're gonna be billing a client That is something that you also need to communicate with. Mm -hmm. If you tell a client, well, I'm going to charge a flat fee, or if you tell a client, well, I charge hourly, but I'm going to require this advance fee deposit, don't just assume the client even knows what that means. Have a conversation with the client up front about when they can expect to receive receive bills, what types of things they can expect to receive on those bills. It also will make sure, if you have those conversations up front, what is, you know what is this likely to cost ballpark obviously with the understanding you can't guarantee anything when can the client expect to receive a bill what can they expect to be on those bills that can help during that intake process weed out clients who can't pay clients who are protesting that bill amount or saying i don't think that that i just don't think that's going to work for me and then you don't take those clients who ultimately aren't going to be paying you. So communication is also a tool that can help the lawyer and help the, you know, the lawyer's bottom line. What are your thoughts on texting? <laughs> so <laughs> if it were up to me, no lawyer would ever text with their client, but it's not up to me and it's 2022 and I totally get that. But there is obviously so much convenience in texting with a client. The thing you have to be aware of as an attorney, texting with a client is, first of all, um, that is part of the client file at least in the state of Missouri, but in other states probably as well, that you have to be able to archive and retrieve that just like you would emails or letters or what have you. So keep that in mind first. Also, cell phone communication in general, texting, emails, you know, through the phone and phone calls, it makes attorneys think that they have to be available 24 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And I've heard attorneys say, my client's expecting me to to be available 24 hours a day. I have this thing in my pocket. And I always say, well, do your clients expect that or are you allowing your clients to expect it? If you don't want to be available 24 hours a day or you think that text message isn't an appropriate way to communicate with the client, appropriately set that expectation up front. I actually have a—
1: Communicate that
0: expectation (laughs) up front. (laughs) Absolutely. I actually have um, one of my closest friends from law school. He's no longer in private practice, but when he was, he would charge more to answer a late night phone call. It's totally ethical to do that so long as it's appropriately communicated and the client consents to it. But you would be surprised when he started doing that, he said, how many phone calls that at 10 PM seemed dire, suddenly magically they could wait until eight thirty in the morning. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> so if you have if you're texting, right, and I'm thinking, okay, it is easier, right? Then I see your point. It does make the attorney feel out like their own call. But is there a duty then to further password protect your phone in a sense that you have the option on iPhones, I'm sure it's on every phone, but I'll just say iPhone because that's what I have, that you have to, when the text comes through, it doesn't say a name and it doesn't show the actual text of the, of the text.
0: Yeah. I mean,
1: so... But I didn't read that in the rule, so I'm, I'm just kind of... Well, so there I'm,
0: are, you know, that's all dealing with confidentiality and there are a lot of different technology questions relating to confidentiality. If you have um, anyone else who might be able to access your phone, obviously there is a danger with texting. But something that has happened, you talk about the pop-ups on... Mm -hmm. um, I, guess. I think that's what they're it, called. I, I guess it's now a, a video I a medium. I, I was about to say I'm I'm doing something with my hands, but I, think I guess it's they can't see. Me. But yeah, yeah, the, so, yeah, but they they pop up on oh, the screen. Even if the screen is you know, <laughs> even if the phone's not on, right? It's laying on the table, and they pop up. What if you're in a negotiation and the client's not there, but you're negotiating for the client? And it's laying there between you and opposing counsel. And the client texts and says, okay, I decided I would go up to 15000 And that pops up. And and it dings. And everyone looks at it because it dings. And then, I mean, you want to talk about the essence of confidential client information that you are absolutely trying to keep, you know, secret and directly impacts their case. Yeah, I would say if you're texting with clients, I would turn it off. I would do the same with email. You know how sometimes the email has the same thing on your phone, that it can have the name and the and the no, subject line. Well, <laughs> it, it depends on how you have it
2: set up no, on your Whitney, phone. No, Whitney, he really didn't know that, though.
1: <laughs> I have a six-year-old niece that I rely on a lot for these tech questions. <laughs> may, I, may I use her as my lifeline right now? <laughs> what, so, so another thing that, uh, an interesting point that you raised earlier is that it does become part of the file. I think a lot of attorneys just get in the habit of, oh, okay, texting in maybe even deleted or it just gets lost in all their, their texts. But what about it? It's now part of your cell phone bill. And so how do you protect that from third parties?
0: Well, if those messages can be accessed by Sprint or T-Mobile, I don't know, the the cell phone companies change and merge every day, but a cell phone company, then you need to have a conversation with the client to get their consent to the fact Mm. that someone outside of that attorney-client relationship may be able to view that. And again, to get the client's informed consent to waive confidentiality in that circumstance, for example, you have to appropriately communicate to the client all of the material risks of them agreeing to that and the reasonably available alternatives. Now, it's possible with text that the client says, I don't care, because again, 2022, we all text but you still have to have that conversation.
1: Right. Well, then also I think you have to tie in privilege too, right? I mean, they all kind of get married together. You have communication, then you have confidentiality, and then you have privilege, mm-hmm. which is attorney-client privilege. Mm-hmm. And then does the client waive it? Do they have to communicate that and express <laughs> it, it, it to waive it because it's their privilege to waive? But then even if you can't get that... Uh, the actual text message itself in the bill, you still had that number. So then it, I'm thinking, okay, because I'm, I'm reading these rules and you can get so lost. I mean, they're so boring, right? <laughs> I mean, I, except for when I do an ethics presentation. I don't know if you've seen any of mine, but they are, they're, they're, they're good. Uh, so the I bar have plan, I'll
2: have to check it out. Yeah, you
1: should check it out. <laughs> we, we were in Missouri Lawyers Weekly, a little plug there. A huge, huge I, I wanna, turnout. I want
2: to clarify, Dan had a picture and I was interviewed though. <laughs>
1: Well, since the, the cat's out of the bag, I was on the front page.
2: Okay, but Winnie, I was talking about a client-centric approach, a lot about communication. So
1: that—that's what brought people in.
2: Yeah, yeah. Okay,
1: but where I'm going with this, though,
2: <laughs> see, we sometimes I get I get
1: sidetracked. Wait, squirrel. <laughs> What, what my concern is, and this is, I mean, sometimes it is boring and it's just kind of, ugh, right? But it's also kind of like, okay, it's interesting. You got this little puzzle here and it's, okay, if I communicate, okay, check. But now I'm like, okay, wait, privilege, hmm. confidentiality, uh-oh. Now I got this bill. I text my client, but my friend may see my bill or my, my parents still pay my cell phone bill. I'm not going to say that it's me, but let's just use it as an example. And then they say, well, I, they see these numbers. So is that privilege then waived?
0: So there wouldn't be any information, I would think. With a phone number. With the phone number that there would be a privilege issue that that would be waived. But talking about confidentiality, because this is something, so privilege, confidentiality. Like tomato, tomato.
1: Not really. Here's (laughs) the thing is
0: that privilege fits into all information that is confidential uh, or all information that is privileged is confidential. But there is a unless it's large amount, unless it's waived, but there's a large amount of information that's confidential that isn't privileged, like the fact that you represent someone. The fact of the representation, the fact that you are their attorney, is a confidential piece of information, but it's not privileged, because of course it's not privileged, because it's privilege requires there to be some type of secrecy. It has to be communicated in confidence. Confidentiality is just... All information relating to the representation, like whatever its source. So that includes that includes the client's phone number. So yeah, you need to if you if your mom is gonna be looking at your cell phone bill and saying, Who are these, Dan, who were you calling last night at 10 PM or whatever?
1: We're you need to make to sure the client names.
0: understands. <laughs>
1: That's okay. privileged communication, <laughs> but what if, what if you're a divorce attorney and it's known that you're a divorce attorney and in your cell phone log, you have that number? Hmm. Why is, this is why I'm thinking, you know, this is what we do in our, in our bantering and our presentations. Sometimes it makes it very entertaining and funny. This is why i guessing we were on the front cover, but it, it, they know that you're a, a divorce attorney. Like, oh, well, I don't know that person. Why would they be calling Mr. Smith? Hmm. The a divorce attorney. Or if, you know, just you, know, you can name any issue. I, I just can, I'm concerned that sometimes attorneys aren't really looking into the rules and reading them the way that they need to be read. And they're just kind of doing a high gloss over. It. And they're really being more deferential to the client and not <laughs> deferential to the rules.
2: Yeah. Okay. You're right. Let me ask a question. <laughs> I'm sorry. Now my mind is going. How is a work phone any different than a cell phone then?
0: Because what do you, mean?
2: you still have a log of calls, mm-hmm, right? You have a provider, mm-hmm. they have access to this information. Um somebody else is probably your accountant paying your bills, taking care of these invoices. Isn't that the same concept though, Dan? So, I will say that the re- there is a little
0: bit of a difference with work phone and cell phone. And that is that your independent contractors, vendors, what have you, uh, accountants, etc you do have a duty to make sure they understand the duty of confidentiality and that they are abiding by it but once that is done there is not there doesn't need to be a, a individual piece by piece Consent from the client to reveal certain pieces of information, like there would be for your your mom on your cell phone, or you know,
1: <laughs>
2: that. you have to start paying your own bills. <laughs> so I don't want to Here's what I'm coming to the conclusion: and you can't make me. Of 2022 or not, it's probably better to just stay away from text messages and your cell phone and use your work phone. Never going to happen, Whitney. I hear I know, you. No, I know it's
0: never going to happen. But that, I mean. All of these things we've just been discussing, that's why the first thing I said was, if it were up to me, lawyers would never text your yeah.
2: clients yeah. <laughs> because it's a whole mess. <laughs> okay. So if you were to give just the top three tips that you could give to attorneys right now on how to just close up this gap of client communication, what would those three things be? So the first thing is
0: having, you know, at the very beginning of the representation, make sure you are... D- over communicating what the representation is going to look like when they can expect to hear from you what it means if they don't hear from you for a few months when that might be what the billing structure is going to look like and when they can expect to receive those set the client's expectation about what it is going to look like at the very beginning so that the client isn't sitting at home thinking my attorney hasn't talked to me in three weeks. I'm probably going to jail, or or whatever, whatever crazy thing the client might conjure in their mind. That's one. Two is frequent communication at the beginning of a representation makes a client feel comfortable that you are not forgetting about them. So if you're going to if you're going to communicate um, with a client a lot at the beginning, they're probably not going to be bugging you every third day, you know a year into the case. And lastly, please, please, please document in writing. It can be an email. It doesn't necessarily have to be a letter, but document in a writing to the client the directives that the clients give you. I'm constantly talking to lawyers and they say, well, I told them if we went to trial, they could lose. And now they won't sue me because they said they didn't understand that. Okay, well, so do you have a letter demonstrating? And And they always say, well, no, I didn't. And that, from a malpractice defense perspective, is gold. <laughs> so mm. it might seem like a CYA extra step jumping through hoops, but you'll be so glad you have it if you find yourself in that situation.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. And it's not, you're not approaching it from a practicing from a CYA perspective. It's really in the best interest of the client, which then facilitates further discussions and will advance the client's case. And at the end, although you can't guarantee results, but you can guarantee good service, right?
0: Absolutely, which
1: hopefully makes everyone's job, including <laughs> yours, a little I, I won't say easier, but maybe less uh, kind of complicated and stressful, so you're just not like, "Oh, I can't believe this again."
0: Well, you know, <laughs> it's a it's an open secret. It's something that people know and then don't but don't really think they know. you can you can commit <laughs> you can commit malpractice and not be sued by your client. It happens every day. You can commit malpractice, and the client can say, you did your best, I understand, this was a mistake. But you can never have that happen if the client doesn't trust you and the client doesn't think that you cared about them or were paying attention to them or that you were doing your best for them. So good communication is the first and best way to make that relationship positive that the client isn't going to automatically jump to trying to sue you over every little thing.
2: Whitney, we have to have you back. (laughs) Oh, you and to come back. I already will you have come this back? master plan. Hold on, Dan. Hold on. That Whitney and I need to do a CLE together. Dan's upset. But I, I'm just thinking it would be amazing. But yeah, will you come back?
0: Of course, of yeah. course. I'd love to do a CLE too.
2: Dan, You're you can also be there. If Sarah proves
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm busy.
2: Ah. <laughs> Is it getting front page news? I'm not coming.
1: <laughs> well, again, thank you. And I'm glad we communicated. Yes. And accepted <laughs> that you will be back. This has been fun. Thank you so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Our inaugural video podcast here. I think here. it went well, oh, everyone. I think it went well. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to The Entrepreneurial Lawyer, How to Grow Your Law Firm. Presented by Lexicon. Lexicon is a legal software and services provider that enables lawyers to do what they do best, practice law. Tune in next time with our hosts and be sure to subscribe and leave your review on your preferred podcast streaming platform or by visiting lexiconservices.com.